The Confluence Story Gathering Podcast is a production of Confluence, a community-supported nonprofit that connects people to the history, living cultures, and ecology of the Columbia River system. Find us at confluenceproject.org. No, it doesn't matter if it was a long time ago or just the weekend before when we went to get wood. You know, these stories continue to generate life and relationship to these places. Welcome to the Confluence Story Gathering Podcast, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. I'm Colin Fogarty, Executive Director of Confluence. You may have heard us say that story gathering has two meanings. We gather together to hear stories, and we gather stories together. In our last episode, we heard from storyteller and environmental scientist Sierra Green, who is Namipu, or Nez Perce. She told stories about places along the Columbia River system and the values those stories convey. Today on the Story Gathering Podcast, Sierra Green continues her exploration of what these stories mean to her and what lessons they pass along for future generations. Our program was an extension of the Confluence Field School, which is supported by the Emily Georges Gottfried Fund, Meyer Memorial Trust, and the Collins Foundation. Here's Sierra Green. I also wanted to provide this definition of traditional ecological knowledge. Some of you may know it as TEK. And this is a definition that I really like to use because it was developed by Indigenous people, um, which is always appropriate. Traditional environmental knowledge is a body of knowledge and beliefs transmitted through oral tradition and firsthand observation. It includes a system of classification a set of empirical observations about the local environment, and a system of self-management that governs resource use. Ecological aspects are closely tied to social and spiritual aspects of the knowledge system. The quantity and quality of TEK varies among community members, depending upon gender, age, social status, intellectual capability, and profession, hunter, spiritual leader, healer, etc. With its roots firmly in the past, TEK is both cumulative and dynamic, building upon the experience of earlier generations and adapting to the new technological and socioeconomic changes of the present. And I love to talk about this definition because there's so much description that goes into it. You might think, how can this be a definition when it covers so many things? That is what TEK is. It really isn't something that I can just tell you a story and now you understand. It requires that you personally experience it firsthand. How can I teach you about using medicines? How can I teach you about that if you don't know what it smells like? If you don't have that feeling in your, not just in your brain, but in your spirit when you smudge yourself with it. It's that firsthand observation and experience. And so I really like to share this quote from Dan Wildcat in Power Place. If you haven't been able to read that book, it's, it's a pretty heavy literary book, a philosophical book, but written by Dan Wildcat and Vine Deloria Jr. It is not enough to simply collect oral histories, study the language, learn the tool making procedures and know the arts and crafts of our indigenous society. All of this being done ought to be done but we must explore experientially living in the world. 
We must go out and see the rainbows. We must go out and smell the plants. Feel the water. Is it cold? Is it hot? We must go out and see these places, build a relationship with these places. And in Nimipu, we follow what's called the seasonal round. We do things in seasons. And we follow the seasonal round in our activities and our way of life. And thinking about stories, you know, yes, our traditional stories are so powerful. But what about our own stories? We have to continue to live this way of life, to keep this connection to these places, to uphold those values. That's what makes those stories living. You know, it's not just a story that happened a long time ago. It's not just a a storybook. These are stories that still live today because these places still exist. Because we still exhibit these values that are embedded in these stories. Doing these things, living this life, all falls under this TEK, oral tradition, first-hand observations. There's a social and spiritual aspect. It's cumulative and dynamic, generational, adaptive to new technology. All these things are part of TEK. Our ways of hunting, my uncle with his moose, my little brother claiming to be his deer, my partner and I and an elk that we got. Again, going out and doing these things carries all these different aspects of the knowledge system. Aspects of a knowledge system that you can't pick up a book and learn about. What's it feel like for a three-year-old to hold the antlers of a deer? Can you find that in a book? Or do you have to experience it and witness it? He was so happy and he's still so happy. Now he's seven. He's ready to get his first deer. He missed about six deer the last time we went out hunting, but he got a grouse and that was his first grouse. And he took a bite of it with a little tiny heart and we showed him how to take care of it. And he said, we're going to have it for dinner tonight. See, make sure you make sure you can stay for dinner. He was so excited because he understood those values that your first kill you have to share. You give out to people. You know, a little grouse, there was enough, enough for all of us to have a bite. <laughs> and he was just so proud. I was so proud to be there to witness that. You know, my little brother growing up. My little brother growing to love this way of life. To understand these values. Now, you don't shoot all the grouse that's there. You get the one, maybe two, if there's a lot of them. You know? These values that have sustained our society, our meaningful society for thousands of years. I like to show this video while I talk about what it is that's happening in it. But what it's showing is us digging up roots and the sustainable practice that is part of that. Dig up the root. I plant those seeds back in, cover it up. The tool we use is a tukis. Real thin digging stick, not a big shovel that's obtrusive to dig into and cut the earth with. This one slides in right under the root, pops it up. Plant all those seeds back in. We don't dig when they're they're flowering. Those flowers are beautiful. Those flowers provide food and nourishment for pollinators. It's part of their life cycle to go through that pollination. If we dig it up when they're flowering, then what? Where are the seeds? There's no seeds for the next generation to develop. We learn these things through oral tradition by going out and doing. Many of you may be familiar with camas. 
that word comes from our language, chemis. And it was one of our staple foods. You know, if I didn't teach our boys and my nieces and my my sister and my brother and all these other people how to do this, am I upholding my name, Sepulchus Legis, if I don't do these things, if I don't teach what I know? And I love the the fruits of our labor. Moose meat, kakit, it's like a potato, carrot type of root, celery straight from the hillsides, and onion. All this came from the earth, the same earth that I come from. All of our relatives providing themselves for us to be nourished. And we learn that through our stories. And being out and experiencing things all along the way, you can see some pretty magnificent things. What do you know? The canvas seed looks just like the bulb of camels. We see the beauties of nature. How beautiful to come across eggs out in the wild. You know, it's not always those big, great double rainbows in a panoramic view, but sometimes it's those little things that remind us what comes from this place besides me. All these things, this next generation here of eggs, this next generation here of seeds. Our stories teach us about responsibility, accountability, all these things that we're supposed to do to take care of the earth. There's a story that many have shared over generations about, you know, how all the animals came to be and what their role was. All the animals stepped forward and said, well, I'm going to be like this. And they qualified themselves to have these qualities, these characteristics. Bees came up and said, I'm going to be like this. And elk came up and moose and sturgeon and butterfly and eagles. And everyone came forward and said, this is how I'm going to be. All these animals came forward and said, here's what I'll do for these clueless, naked beings that are going to come. That's the humans. (laughs) All these things that they provided for us. And all Honeywatt creator said was, their responsibility will be to take care of this place, take care of this land. And I think, are we doing that? And so what do we do with these stories? What am I doing? Sepulchus Wheatus. What am I doing with these stories? Aside from my job at Northwest Indian College, I have my own uh, business, Sepulchus Wheatus Consulting. And there's a lot of different things I do through my consulting business. But one is Nimipu Nawit. Nimipu, of course, meaning nest purse. Nawit meaning lifeways. Nespers Lifeways. Our program, Nimipu Now Lifeways of Our Homelands, provides Nimipu community members engaging opportunity to learn about our relatives, plants and animals, and homelands with a foundation in healing and protection of our sacred environment and ourselves. And our key goals in sharing not only stories, but promoting that connection to place, that cultural identity, stewardship, community health, and education and career pathways for the protection and healing of our homelands and our community. These stories are such an integral part of that. You know, we worked with Lewis and Clark State College on learning about air. Had they heard our stories about um, air or about the monster using his breath and the power of breath? Really important that we share our stories so people can begin to understand who we are as Nimiku. But not just who we are, but how we come from this land, 
And what is this land that we all share? What does that mean to all of us? We're able to support our community going to places they've never been on our homelands. Buffalo country. This young man, this is his first buffalo. This is his mom, his uncle, and his grandma was there as well. How powerful to support a new generation going out. None had been to Buffalo country. This is uh, Chava's first buffalo. You know, how powerful is that to say that we were able to support this happening? They will now have a story to share for generations to come. Being proud to be Nimiku, understanding those values that come with that, that responsibility, that connection to place, this education and career pathways associated with our buffalo brothers. Really important to share our stories. For all generations, not just the youth. Some of us adults, you know, I'm always learning. I love to listen to these. These are my peers, you know, but they're participants in our new Mipun Out program. They're also the teachers. We all come together to learn about air, fire, land, water. I'm just going to end with one last story here. Many of you may know Pacific Lamprey. We know him as Tasu. Lamprey is an ancient old relative of ours. One of my favorite foods. 450 million years ago is when the fossil record appears. An ancient brother of ours. Man, the lessons we need to learn from him. I always associate uh, Tasu with resilience. 450 million years and your species is still here. Talk about resilience. Here we are, this little blip at the very end, 100,000 years ago or so. And one of our stories talks about eel and uh, suckerfish. Eel, uh, lamprey, Tasu, doesn't have any bones. And people might think, well, why is that? Well, when you look at the prehistoric and the evolutionary diagrams of fish, maybe that makes sense. But our stories tell us, and we know this without all the evolutionary data that we have now with fossils and this and that, we know this is true because the story goes, eel, hasu, and suckerfish were gambling. They were playing stick games, one of our traditional social games that we played. And continue to play today. They're playing stick games and Lamprey kept betting, betting. He bet all he had. He had nothing left to bet. So what did he do? He bet his bones. And as they were playing back and forth, back and forth, suckerfish, who if you've ever caught or seen a suckerfish, you know they have a lot of bones. Not a great one to, to fillet up, I guess you could say. But I've heard they make great sucker patties. But suckerfish has lots of bones. So as they're betting and, and playing back and forth, back and forth through this stick game, Lamprey loses. So he lost all of his bones. That's why suckerfish today has so many bones and Lamprey has none. And that story still stands true today. Again, our stories are living. These are living stories that we see. They're still pre- present today still prevalent in our everyday lives. One of the limitations of Western science is its inability to recognize the traditional environmental knowledge 
the American Indians have been passing down to each other in their oral histories for millennia. Oral tradition is still very much alive among the Nez Perce people. Western scientists, however, are unable to recognize the traditional environmental wisdom because it also contains spiritual and cultural aspects fundamental to the religion or religious beliefs of many Native Americans. And these beliefs and values are simply impossible to quantify using the scientific method. And a quote from Alan Pinkham. Sometimes I try to get people to compare plant and animal species with their own body parts. For instance, the buffalo could be a finger, the passenger pigeon another finger, the peregrine falcon another finger. The wrist could be the sockeye salmon. If you relate these body parts to these species, how many would you eliminate before you would say, stop? You can get along pretty well if you lose a finger, but if you keep doing that, when is it enough? I learned this philosophy from my elders. Even Joseph himself said, I am of the earth. Well, if you consider yourself part of the earth, you won't sacrifice those body parts. So when I think about these things and these stories and, and these experiences, I think about going out. Yes, I sit here and work at the computer so much, so often. But when I get to go out to these places, to go up to the mountains to get wood, to pick huckleberries, to gather medicines, elk hunt, moose hunt, deer hunt, rabbit hunt, grouse hunt, pheasant hunt, just gathering and hunting and fishing and all these things. But it's not always about that. Last weekend I went out. We had a truck full of one was my uncle and two of my brothers. And then the truck I was in was my aunt and one of my sisters. And we went out there and we were hunting. Well, the primary goal was to get wood. We saw elk early on. And we spent the day out there looking for elk, looking for elk. Well, we got service out of nowhere. We usually don't get service. My uncle had messaged us. Oh, we're just getting home. Here, our truck full of women. We were still out there looking for elk. We didn't get elk and we didn't get wood that day. But that memory that we made is so powerful. And being able to take my aunt and my sister to that place, a place maybe they had, my younger sister had never been to hunt or get wood, a place my aunt hadn't been in a long time to hunt and get wood, a place that I frequently go to, you know, to help them gain that mm, relationship to that place connection to that place and tell stories about my grandpa and you know all these other things that we were able to share in that time together telling these stories you know it doesn't matter if it was a long time ago or just the weekend before when we went to get wood you know these stories continue to generate life and relationship to these places now when I go to that place I'll think about how funny my brothers looked getting all excited about elk or how us girls were making fun of them for being so excited. And then here we were staying out there all day and they came home earlier. <laughs> Maybe we were the ones so excited. You know, these stories are so powerful for us to be able to share, to share with you all. And hopefully it gives you um, some reflection on, you know, what stories are you sharing? 
in your professional life, in your personal life, with the youth and children that you encounter and engage with. Listen to their stories. Have them draw a picture when you tell a story. Ask elders about stories. How was it when they were kids? What did they used to do? Do we still do those things? Why or why not? What are the values in in containing that and continuing that? There's so many things that stories can teach us and continue to teach us. And I hope that what I shared today um, just gave you a break from everything else in life and gave you a moment to think about all these things that I've been able to share. That's Yalia. You've been listening to the Confluence Story Gathering Podcast with Sierra Green, a member of the Nez Perce Tribe and an Indigenous Traditional Ecological Knowledge Educator and Consultant. This program was an extension of the Confluence Field School, which is supported by the Emily Georges Gottfried Fund, Meyer Memorial Trust, and the Collins Foundation. To find out more about Confluence, our mission, and our five completed sites along the Columbia River system, check out our website, confluenceproject.org. Remember, Confluence is a community-supported nonprofit. We can only do this work because of the generous support from the Friends of Confluence. That's you. Join us today at confluenceproject.org. Thanks for listening to the Confluence Story Gathering Podcast. Podcast.